0: I'll be reading from 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more, for you know what instructions we gave through the Lord Jesus For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles, who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has called us for Impure, God has called not called us for impurity but in holiness, therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you.
1: We are in our series entitled Ready. Uh, we are walking through First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 through 8, and uh, we've been going through Ready for the last uh, several weeks. And remember, if we remember the the context that Paul is writing to this church of uh, pretty much young believers that are there, that are needing to be instructed on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Paul had been forced to uh, leave them, and he was worried about their faith, had sent Timothy. Timothy came back with a great report, and he sends sends this letter to encourage them, to remind them, uh, to do what it is that God has called them to do, and to be the people that God has called them to be. And as we look within this passage, you know, we, we saw here and we read about uh, let there be no sexual immorality among you. You know, I, as I, I was thinking about this passage, I was recalling a conversation that I had when I was in India with the evangelist, uh, T.V. Thomas. So T.V. Thomas has been in ministry for, for about 40 years. He's traveled to 170 different countries. And he has ministered with, uh, I mean, he, he used to talk to Billy Graham monthly. I mean, he's, he uh, has met different presidents in the United States. He's other heads of state. He's, just, he's been around a lot of people and a lot of different nations. And I asked him a question. I said, you know, T.V., in all of the travels that you have had all over the world, world. Uh, What is the biggest thing that is keeping the church back today? What's the biggest problem that you see in the church? And rather than just give me one answer, he said he he gave a very nuanced answer. And he said, you know, in the the church in India, he said, I see that there's been a problem of lying. That's kind of the, the beset sin that's there. He said, in Africa, I see a problem with the prosperity gospel that has got his way in. But he said, in America, the problem is straight up sex. He said, because the church in America is consumed by it. And in our society today, I mean, it is everywhere we go. We can't escape it any longer. I mean, we're talking about, I mean, we see the proliferation of pornography where people would just go and they would look. They'd have to go to a a bad part of town to get a picture years and years ago. Now, you just flip out your phone and flip through it and you can see whatever you want to see from whoever you want to see it from. And the que- we used to think, you know, when will kids be exposed to it? They say the average age is 11, but they said uh, most kids, they said the question is not a question of when, uh, of, of if, but when. Because our kids are going to be exposed to this. And not only that, we have to ask ourselves, what do we understand about sexual morality? Because it is, there is a war uh, on sex today against God and his word. Today, it is more acceptable to pretend, uh, I mean, for, for someone to pretend and change their gender rather than have Tim Tebow says that he's going to remain abstinent. That's more controversial in many ways for different people. That's just where our society has gone. Our world has become pretty messed up. We see that even the church, it's, it's creeping into the churches. It's gotten a hold of different leaders, sometimes even different scholars that try to make the word of God fit whatever their sinful desire is. But God calls us back and he blows away all of that false teaching and he calls us back with his clarion call to the truth of how he wants us to live and behave. Because see, his word has shown us the right way. God made us. He made us to be physical, sexual beings. And that is a wonderful thing. But it's to happen in the proper context in which God has ordained it to be. Because if we do not do it in that proper context, then we will, we will destroy our very lives. In my house, I have a, a fireplace in my basement that's a wood-burning fireplace. I like to, to light that fireplace up. My wife hates it when I light it up, but I like to light that fireplace up. And constantly, because there's smoke that's getting in different parts of the house, she thinks the whole house is burning down. But when I, when I light that fire, I have to channel, make sure that the, all the wood stays in the fireplace and the smoke doesn't get out. And if I were to, to get that fire just roaring, it's a cold day, it's snowing outside, you want to crawl up in front of the fire. And now let's say that, that fire is roaring and I take a log from that fire and I sit it in the middle of my living room. What's going to happen to my house? It's going to burn down right? See, when we take sexual morality our understanding of sex outside of the confines in the places which God has ordained it to be and put it in our own way, wherever we want to do it and however we want to do it, then we're going to destroy our lives. So we have to go back and say, what does the Bible say about it? I mean, God's not against sex. He's pro-sex, but he he is for it in the right way and in the right context. And we need to talk about that and and what it is, what it's not. And this doesn't matter if you've been married for 75 years or if you're you're single. It doesn't matter if you're going to be married. It doesn't matter what your status is. This applies to each one of us. And we need to see what God has for us within his word and what he has taught us about sex and how we can uh, do it in such a way that God desires us to do that his name might receive great glory that we might increase in joy. So today, I recognize, first of all, that not all of us come to the table uh, with, with, you know, we come broken. And we need to be aware of that as we come before it, but we need to come before God broken and honest with ourselves, asking him to speak to us from his word and see what he has for us today. So let's pray and ask for his blessing on our, our time. Father, please speak to us. Show us who we are. Show us who you are and what it is that you desire from us. We pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so open up in your, your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as we walk through this very important passage. Paul starts off. He says, finally then, brothers, he's speaking to the church here. He says, we ask and urge you, these two verbs together, uh, form what's called an imperative clause. It is a, it's a, more of a command that's there. It's very strong. He's saying, I really want you to do this. I want you to understand uh, what it is that God has for you. That you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God. Just as you are doing, I want you to do it more and more. Now he's saying that, you know what? The truth that I gave you, you are following. You are doing it. Way to go. I'm pretty excited about what's going on. But you know what? That's not the end of it. You need to do it more and more. See, many of us think that we got this Christian thing mastered. Some do. I mean, we, we do see some people, just like we saw today, Jerome getting baptized, but some, as we talked about in the baptismal, some people say that once you get baptized, I don't need any anymore. In essence, I got the fire insurance policy, I got the spiritual liability insurance, and I don't need any, any extras on top of it. I'm all good. Just give me the faith and let me go. But that is not what the Bible says. Paul here is saying to us, You've done it. That's great. But there's more. We all have a next step that we're to take with God. Every one of us. Every one of us in this room has room to grow. Every one of us needs to be taking the next step. What's yours? Maybe your next step is you need to come to know the Lord. You need to finally confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. You need to surrender and receive him as Lord of your life. Maybe that's it. Or maybe you need to take that next step. Maybe you need to step in the waters of baptism and you say, you know what? I'm going to commit myself. I'm publicly telling people that I believe in Jesus and I'm going to follow him with my whole life. Maybe that's what you need to do. You know, I hope that so some people here in this room really do need to do, because Easter Sunday it's tradition in church history to have baptisms. And I'm praying that we have some baptisms. And if that's what your next step is, you need to take that step and talk to me, or talk to Scott, or talk to David, talk to somebody about it. But you need to take that next step. Maybe you've already been, you've been in church for a long time. Maybe you've just become one of the frozen chosen sitting on your blessed assurance. And you need to get up, and you need to start serving. Because Jesus wants us to serve. And if you want to be like Jesus and you need to serve and quit being a spiritual barnacle, you're a parasite. You're just sucking in all the blessing and never giving anything back. God has called you to minister. We are a kingdom of priests, which means that each one of us has a responsibility to be ministering before God. And that's what we need to do. Some of you have done that. Some of you need to go deeper in your walk with the Lord. Some of you actually need to read the Bible. Open it up. Start reading the Word of God and letting it read you to be instructed on truth and doctrine and the faith once delivered for all the saints. Learn how to defend your faith. Some of you need to learn to start praying and not just these quick drive-through prayers, but you need to spend some sustained, quiet time in the side of God. Some of you need to say, I'm going to follow the Lord in fasting. And if you are fasting, praise the Lord. You're in the Lenten season right now. Some of the people I know are fasting. Uh, let me tell you, I'll give you a little bit of encouragement here. It gets easier as you go along because I know some people are like, hey, I gave up coffee and they, they start shaking and having headaches. The first two days, the th- first two or three days are usually the worst. After that, they'll start dissipating. You'll feel a little tired. Movements will be hard, especially if you're fasting completely from food. And you're going to start feeling a little bit of drain, but you'll notice your energy start to pick up. The hunger pains will cease, and you'll make your way through. If you're trying to do the 40 full days of a food fast, I encourage you in that, but just be careful as you go. If you start feeling, I mean, you're going to start losing some weight. Your demeanor start changing. You'll become much more alert as you go along. But if you start feeling those hunger pains start to return after they had left, and that usually happens between 21 and 40 days, then that's a sign of starvation and you need to stop. But some people need to go deeper in fasting because, see, when we fast, we are telling our body, our flesh, that we are sustained by God alone. And every word that comes from God, we're not sustained by bread alone. And we're telling our body, you know what, I don't need this body. I can resist this urge. I can say no to my flesh. And that translates into other spheres of our life. You'll notice that you can say no to other urges that you have, other desires that you have. You don't have to turn on or go to that website. You don't have to look at that on your phone. You can resist that plate of food when it comes by you. You don't have to steal. You don't have to curse. Because it's showing you that you can become, through the Holy Spirit, mastery over these things. And that it is Jesus Christ alone who sustains you. But we all need to take our next step. And Paul is saying here that if he wants, he says, you want to please God? then you need to learn, to, you need to grow in your walk with him. That's the first thing that we all need to learn. The first thing that we need to write down. We need, all need to grow in our walk with God. Every single one of us need to grow. We need to step on to maturity. Just as I was, I was talking the other day, I was talking to my brother Tom yesterday, and we were talking about pleasing God. He said, I look at it in the ter- uh, context of my relationship. I told you I was going to use this, didn't I? And, and, and Tom had said, he goes, when I got married, he said, um, I would just take my underwear, you know, take my clothes off at the end of the night, take my underwear, and pew, and shoot it all this side of the room. He said, but I learned from my wife that that's not pleasing to her, that she wants it put in a certain place. He goes, well, it's been like 32 years, and I just learned to do it last week. So, but it's saying he's learned to please. I'm kidding on that. But, um, um, but it's saying then is that you have to learn to please the person. In a marriage, you learn to please the other person. I learned from my wife that I had to learn how to fold towels a certain way. That the way that I learned was not a way that pleased her. So I had to learn how to roll it a certain way and put it away. Because I wanted to do it because I loved her. Now see, if we really love God, we want to learn to do the things and we want to do and order our life in a way that pleases God. Isn't that right? So that's what he's saying is, I want you to grow in your walk with him. And now, how, where do we start with that? Well, first of all, we need to understand that we, how we failed in this area. No one is perfect here. We have to acknowledge our failures, especially when it comes into the physical and the most intimate area of life. We have to acknowledge our culpability as a church. I was reading a certain scholar the other day, and he was talking about what the threats to the church were. Actually, he was talking about it about 30 years ago when it came to the sexual realm. And he said, you know, it's not gay marriage, which he saw coming down the horizon. He said it's the subject of divorce. He said because people are just leaving their spouses left and right. And they're not holding on and cleaving to one another and showing how God is to love his church. That's what marriage is a symbol of, Jesus of his church. Jesus doesn't say, I'm done with you, I'm out. He says, I love you, I've committed myself to you. And I've loved you with an everlasting love. And while you were still yet my enemy, I still loved you. It's a great picture in Hosea, whose wife, Gomer, who runs off into prostitution, and he still loves her, and he still brings her back. It's God's love for us. So we need to accept our failures. Each one of us in this room, no one in this room is completely pure. Not on their, not in their own. No one is because we've either sinned by our acts, our attitudes or in the actions that we have done or in the thoughts of our heart because the scripture is also clear in the book of Matthew that if we looked at a woman lustfully, we've already committed adultery in our heart. Because See, God, God's standard is just not the outward conformity. It's about the inward transformation. God is always about the heart always about the heart. Every single time he's about the heart. So we need to acknowledge our failures first of all. Now notice what Paul says here. He says, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, that they gave instructions. This was God's plan. You need to accept God's plan. See, if we're going to find victory in this arena, we need to accept his plan. See, the thing is, is that we don't like God's plan because God's plan sometimes leads to pain. And it leads to suffering. And we are allergic to pain and suffering. You know, people talk about people being allergic to peanuts. And take, I mean, we, when suffering comes in, we are allergic, man. We are a no suffering zone. You have no peanut zones, no gluten zones. This is a no suffering zone. But see, that's not what the Word of God says. When you follow Him, you're going to suffer, but you're going to find greater joy. Because I guarantee when you go that way, you'll have initial pleasure, but greater suffering. Here, you might have suffering at the onset. And pleasure later. So, so we have to understand and accept his plan. Because the reality is, is many of us haven't done that in our lives. The reality is, is that many of us, when we have come to the part of God where he says something we don't like, we change it or we think we know better. And we say to God, God, you don't understand. You don't understand what I'm feeling. You don't understand. I love them. You don't understand, God. God is looking at you going, I understand. You're not willing to surrender or submit you think you know better than I do. That's that's what we do all the time. It's like I was dealing with this couple who came to me, and this young lady said, uh, "She goes, uh, it's it's I want you know we want to be together and and we want to do we want to do what God wants us to do, but we're going to move in together. Well, that's not what God wants you to do." You're not willing to accept God's plan there. You don't like God's plan. You like it for certain things, but not all things. And see, he's saying here, the instructions from Jesus Christ that came to you. God has given us an instruction within his word on how we are to live, and we have to make sure that we don't think we know better than God does. So we have to be able to accept his plan. And then thirdly, we need to prepare to alter our course. We need to be able to do what he tells us to do here. And he's saying that I've given you instructions from the Lord Jesus. Now, we can just take what I'm teaching you today, and you can be like, that's great, amen. But if you're not willing to make a change in your life, then what's the point of it? You've got to be willing to alter your course. You've got to say to God, I'm going to change directions. I'm going to embrace you. I'm going to turn from my sin back to you. And I'm going to follow what your will is for my life. So we need to be aware of that. We need to make sure that we not just accept his plan, but prepare to alter our course. Now let's look back at our text here for a moment. In verse 3, people always want to know what the will of God is? Well, here's the will of God for your life right now. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, and that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. See, we need to embrace his will. You want to know what God's will is? I mean, you've got to be ready to do it. You've got to be ready to follow it completely. Embrace his will will. I have people coming to me all the time. They're saying, well, uh, what's the will of God for me? And and I had a young lady come to me and she goes, I think it's God's will for me to date this boy. Let me ask you a question. Is this guy a, a believer? No, he's not. I can honestly tell you with complete peace in my heart that it is not God's will for you to date him. Well, maybe God wants him to come to know the Lord and it'll be through me. Maybe you're trying to rationalize your disobedience right now and what you're getting ready to do because God can save him without you. And he doesn't want you to disobey to reach somebody. Because God will never contradict his nature. And God does not lie. And he says that we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. There is no such thing as missionary dating. I've heard people say that a lot. They're like, well, I need to reach them. I don't know how French kissing is totally going to get them. I don't know how you living together is going to reach them. Because right now, you've actually done something totally different. You have showed him the worst example of who Jesus is, and you are subjecting Jesus to public crucifixion all over again. Because you are saying that it's okay for me to stay in this sin, rather than me to forsake it. Because see, Jesus died to put away sin, not to stay it any longer. And when we stay in sin, we're saying that his death meant nothing. That's what we say. When I hear people say, well, we're going to live together, and we'll eventually get married, and... and what? Why don't get married now? Well, we don't have enough money for the wedding day. We have enough money to move in together. Why, do you, why are you waiting for that? I can do this right now. We want to have the wedding day. So you're making an idol of the day, and you're not thinking about the marriage. You need to think about the marriage. You're, and you're also putting this higher than God. You're saying, my disobedience and convenience right now is greater than what God wants. I'm going to put myself over God. And that's what we see today in our world. And that's what we have to be very careful and make sure that we don't put our will over God's. We need to embrace his will for our lives and say, I'm going to trust in you, Lord. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding, but I'm going to, all my ways, acknowledge you because right now it doesn't make sense, but I'm going to obey. Because, see, we think we've got to figure it out. Let me tell you something. You're never going to figure out everything that God has for you. There's times that I tell my son, They come to, my son comes to me and says, Daddy, uh, I, I want to do this. You don't need to do that. Why? Why? Well, sometimes I, I can't explain to him all the reasons why. He's not going to understand the reasons why. And we're not going to understand the reasons why, but we need to trust. And that's why I tell my son, or my wife actually tells my son, just obey. Just obey. Sometimes when they get older, you explain as you go. But there are times that it's just you don't have that opportunity to, to explain everything to it. We just need to obey. We need to embrace his will. And what's his will? That we abstain from. From sexual immorality. Now, this was a society. You think, oh, these people already had together. They didn't have the temptations that we had today. No, In the, especially with the Thessalonica, it was a port city, and the Greeks and the Romans were not known for their sexual morality. Matter of fact, they were known for the, quite the opposite. It was not uncommon for a, a man to have a mistress uh, for his intellectual pleasure. He would have a concubine or a, sl- a slave concubine for his sexual enjoyment. And then he would have his wife who was basically to manage his, children, his legitimate children in the affairs of his household and you want to get an idea of how really how the ancient world was, I would encourage you to read Suetonius's The Twelve Caesars because it gives you an unfettered look exactly at the lives of the Caesars. They were some sick dudes. I mean, they, they would be in prison in our society. But we're getting there. It's getting become more and more. And sexual immorality and all these different kinds of alternative lifestyles and weird kind of weird stuff that people are into today. And they're all saying, God made me this way. Does God want me to deny this? First of all, uh, that is a product of original sin. That's it. And your desire, I mean, we all have natural desires, but we're all affected by original sin. And we all need to channel that and learn to take what God says about it so it channels our desires so that we can have them in the proper way that God has made us to be. So we need to make sure that we are abstaining and that consciously abstain from sexual immorality. Now, the word here for immorality, sexual immorality, is the word porneia. It is a word that, it's the Greek word porneia, and it's used for all-inclusive understanding of sexual immorality. It's referring to fornication. It's referring to adultery. It's referring to bestiality. It's referring to pornography. It's referring to whatever virtual thing that you're thinking about or anything that you have a question about that is not between a husband and a wife alone in the marriage bed. Period. That's the all-inclusive word. I've had some people come to me and they say, well, God doesn't say that fornication is wrong. Here it is. He doesn't use that word. He uses a bigger word that is much more inclusive of that. And this includes, by the way, all different relationships outside of what a husband and wife marriage bed. Now, there are some people that have different desires and attractions. We have to recognize that. But those are products of the fall. And we all have those in a different way. For some, it comes out in pornography. Some comes out in some sex attraction. Some people, they want to have another relationship outside of their marital relationship and be in adultery. So we have to understand and channel that and go back to what God says about it and accept his word on the subject. So we must make sure of that as we delve into this very, very important area. Consciously abstain from sexuality. I like Ephesians chapter five, verse three, puts it this way. It says, but among you, there must not even be a hint. Not even a hint. Let's put it in our common vernacular. How about this? Not even a click. Not even a click. Not even a swipe. Not any of those things. Or of any kind of impurity or of greed because they are improper. These are improper for God's holy people. Can't be a hint of it. We can't flirt with it and we need to make a clean cut. That's actually what the wording means here is abstain. It's a clean cut. Clean cut. I'm abstaining. I am cutting it off. I am going away. I'm not going to hold its hand. I'm not going to give just a little bit to it. I'm not just going to occasionally, you know, my wife's not meeting my needs, so I'm going to look at porn okay. It's all right. No, it's not. It's not. Got to say it pretty clear here. Not even a hint. of Sexual immorality. So we need to make sure that we follow what the Word of God says on it. Now, what does that mean for us? Look at verse 4 that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. In other words, we need to make sure that we control our passion. Control our passion. Control our passion. Now, the, the, the word here uh, is actually, when it says, know how to control and his body in holiness and honor, uh, the Greek word here in, indicates like mastery over. The former of these two nouns, pathos, uh, properly denotes a feeling which the mind suffers and so a passion. Scholar Leon Morris says that it signifies. uh, It doesn't signify like the English word passion does, this violent feeling, but it's an overmastering feeling in which the man is borne along by evil as though it's his passive instrument. He doesn't even try to fight it. He just goes along with the current. It is the passive side of a vice, whereas the following word, epithemia, which is lust, or thumia is lust, is the active side of it. The combination uh, of these words points to the surrender of one's passions. See, the surrender was common in the world of that day. Paul goes on to say that it was characteristic of the heathen, a term often car- translated by the Gentiles. When he says Gentiles, it's a, a, a word that is referring to unbelievers. So we don't want to let ourselves be carried on like the Gentiles are, to let them just go off with every passion. We need to make sure that we resist it actively because we realize it's going to creep up even within us. We have to be able to control and channel our passion. The Christian is to rule over their body and not be caught in the grip of unbridled sexual desire because we now have self-control. See, when you come to know Jesus, God places his spirit in you so that you now have that wonderful fruit of the spirit called self-control. Now, it's interesting. My, uh, we, have, I, we have this dog named Spurge. We named him a Spurgeon. And he's this kind of lab Great Dane mix. And He's a puppy, and he's growing like crazy, and he chews everything. And I don't know what it is about boys and dogs but it's like a magnet. And wherever this dog is, my sons are. And for some reason, they feel that it's in their imperative to body slam the dog and just lay on top of the dog. And so they always just want to fall on top of the dog. And the dog has learned not to bite. Because my wife has said, you don't bite my kids. So he just looks in helpless, and he kind of runs from them because they're going to body slam. They just want to cuddle him. I mean, we're trying to tell my son, especially my older son, don't do that because you're going to hurt the dog. And then my, I hear my wife constantly to look at my son and says, son, you have self-control. Self-control. Now, I wish that I could take that with some Christians, sit them down and look at him as I would my, seven, my six-year-old son and say to him, son, you have self-control. I hear people say, well, I, don't, I can't control myself. Are you a Christian? Yes. And you have the Spirit of God within you. Then you are not believing what God has said about your passions within His Word. You're not. You're refusing to exercise your self-control. And Satan has convinced you that you're a prisoner of your sin. But see, it's interesting. The Bible says that we are, when we sin, we are slaves to sin. But Jesus came to set the captives free. That's what Jesus came to do. And He tells us that we can control our passions. Why? We need to learn to beat our body into place. We need to train ourselves. That's what 1 Corinthians says right here. I'd like to show you this passage. It's in the Amplified Version. It says it this way. But like a boxer, I strictly discipline myself, my body, and make it my slave, so that after I have preached the gospel to others, I myself will not somehow be disqualified as unfit for service. He's saying, i got to beat my body down. This flesh rages against me. It wants to do sin. But I have the Spirit of God within me to counteract that flesh. And I have to learn to train my body for godliness. To fight and resist temptation and sin. Oscar Wilde said the only thing that he couldn't resist was temptation. But you know, as a Christian, we can resist. We don't have to sin any longer. Now, we, we, we inevitably will sin. We're not perfect individuals. And we, we have bad days. We have bad thoughts. But God, there is forgiveness with him. And that is one of the most wonderful truths in all of Scripture. Now, not only uh, do we, we don't have to sin any longer. Why? Well, look at this. I want us to look back at verse 4. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one may transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Now, there's something that's kind of inferred here. He's saying that uh, not like the Gentiles, not like them, meaning that you were like them, but you're no longer like them. In other words, you were changed the moment that you trusted in Christ. You were changed when you trust in Christ. You can do his will if his spirit was within you. We can't do his will if his spirit is not within us. See, God has to give of himself to accomplish his will and help overcome our sinful desires. That's why we say you have to be regenerated. Because that's the Spirit of God doing it. It's not just me saying, I believe, and your heart hasn't been changed. It's, I have been changed to believe. And I've been changed from the inside out. And he's saying that you have been changed. You are not who you were. Do you, real, you realize that? You're not who you were, but you're not yet who you will be. Paul talks about this greatly and how much we have been changed in the book of Romans chapter 6, verse, 20, verse 16 through 23. I want to read this passage. It's pretty pretty extended passage, but it's a wonderful one. He says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, were, you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, having been, become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you, once, were prese- you present, once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. In other words, when you used to do the sins that you were chained to, it was leading to death. You're ashamed of them now. You're ashamed of it. For the end of these things is death. But now that you have been set free, set free, because when the sun comes into your life, you are free indeed. Jesus sets the captives free. The problem is, is we don't realize that. We don't remember that. And the devil keeps us intimidated and, and, and forgets to tell us the, ch- the, the door of the prison is open. But we've been so used to just sitting in our filth that we don't go out. It's freedom. Set free. He has set you free. Become slaves of God. The fruit you, you get leads to now sanctification and to its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, it's this way. First, uh, he says, continues on, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. See that up there? That you were now a slave, but now you've been set free. But I want us now to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's turn to that page real quick. Or 2 Corinthians 6. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is not an exhaustive list, by the way. He's just giving a blanket list. And such were some of you. Some of you. No longer. You're not that anymore. You're not who you were. Because Jesus came into your life, and he set you free from your sin the moment that you trusted in him. That he gave his Holy Spirit to you. That you be a holy and pure individual, living a pure life before him. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. You were a new creation. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Amen and hallelujah. Man, you guys don't shout much. That's a heaven shout right there. I mean, you can shout. There's times it's just, yeah, Amen. That's a, that's a shouting thing. Man, all these people came from Anglo backgrounds. It sounds like you're in pain when you say amen. Amen. It's okay. Amen. It's okay. you got to get used to it. But well, that's the truth to hold on to. That's something that we should just wrap ourselves in. That's why we talked about and we've been talking about in the last several sermons. Who your identity is in Christ. We have to preach this to ourselves day in and day out. Who we are in Jesus and not forget who we are, that we are chosen, we are ambassadors, we are loved of God, we are forgiven, we are more than conquerors, we are new creation, we are a kingdom of priests. These are all things that we are. We are the light. We are now cities on a hill, we are salt and light. This is your identity. But see, the devil's going to keep coming against you, trying to convince you that you are in your old way of life, that he still has the ties to you. And you don't have to do that any longer. You don't have to open the door when he knocks. You can shut it because he doesn't have right on your life any longer. You were changed the moment that you trusted in Jesus Christ. Now, let's get back to verse 6. Verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Now, the Greek word for here, transgress, means it, it means the crossing of a band- boundary. Here, it is a, of a crossing uh, of a forbidden boundary and hence trespassing, trespassing sexually on territory which is not one's own. The word for wrong here means to go beyond. That is, beyond what is right. Paul is saying that we have wronged our fellow man, or brother, if we sleep with another man's wife or with someone who is not our wife. This is true of fornication, and adultery. If it's fornication, then you are taking from someone else who will be married to that person. As one Christian college student said, he said, the facts of life are that the woman I date today may be the wife of one of these other guys in a year or two. My relationship with them is important to me, and I want a strong and positive relationship with both of them if that happens. See, he's saying there that you are stealing from another person if you were sleeping with someone who is not your spouse. You are stealing, and that means we need to consider the rights of others. That's what God is saying here. You need to consider the rights of other people because that is their right. As a husband and wife, that is what it makes you different in that relationship more than any other on the face of the planet. That is the only person that is going to be, besides your doctor, is going to be seeing you naked, and that's okay and a wonderful thing. That's what it's for. And when you, when you, when you, this person is, is, they have, they fornicate, which is sex before they're married, that, you're not guaranteed that you're getting married yet. We're married in the sight of God. You're not Adam and Eve last I looked. You didn't go before God. You're just using that to justify your inability or unwillingness to fight your sin. That's what it is. So he's saying you are stealing from another person. Now here's where it gets really bad. I mean, that, you think that's bad. And, and, and by the way, the scripture says this, that if you commit adultery, by the way, that it's like a man who scoops burning coals into his lap. And he says, you're going to get burned matter of fact a man a man if he is wrong in that regard he is going to come against you and he won't be satisfied with anything because there's jealousy that rages within him because you've taken what is rightfully his it is his and it's same for a man if he does it that is rightfully the woman's and that's why there's a holy jealousy there because that is met for one context alone and this is a teaching we need. And I recognize, by the way, that not everyone in this room is perfect in this area. Okay, as I said, we've all failed in some way or another. We need to be aware of that. But this is what God's Word says. We need to consider the rights of others. Now here's where it gets really bad, though. By the way, it doesn't get better. It gets worse first. Look at verse 6. First of all, let me put this down before we look at verse six. We need to heed his warning. Heed his warning. That's in verse six, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. You ready? Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. You need to underline that. The Lord is an avenger in these things. See, you're not just wronging that other person and that, that person's spouse might come after you if they find out, God himself will pay you back. The Lord is an avenger in these things. That's why he says here, as we told you beforehand and solemnly, solemn. I mean, sir, this is serious here. This, that's what Paul's saying. This is serious what we told you. We warned you about this. We're not, we're not playing around here. You know, God is a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. He is not a tame God. You are messing with the God that created the entire world, and He will not be held back. You are inviting His judgment directly into your life. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man but God who gives his holy spirit to you now it's interesting where this word order one scholar noticed that this is a very unusual word order in the Greek actually it's his spirit the holy which has the effect of emphasizing holy and also that the spirit is none it's none less than God's spirit and the conduct in question outrages the spirit who is holy This is brought out by referring to God as him who gives you his Holy Spirit. The verb is in the present tense, which is very unusual for Paul here. He generally thinks that the Spirit is given once and for all. But in this passage, there is a profound truth in the sense, in the use of the present tense. Anyone who carries on an act of impurity is not simply breaking a human code, nor even sinning against the God who at some point in the past gave him the gift of the Spirit. He is presently sinning against the God who is present at that moment against the one who continually gives the Spirit to them. Meaning that, you know that, by the way, God is there when you have sex. And he's saying that when you do that, especially illicitly, God is there. And he is an avenger for what you've done. He's an avenger. We need to heed his warning. So he's saying there that God is there. That's a sober truth. That's a hard truth, but it's true. Because, see, God is saying you're taking from something, someone from something that is not yours. Now, how do we heed this warning? First of all, and I'm going to try to get real practical here. We need to rely on the Spirit of God. We need to rely on the Spirit of God. Look at verse 8. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gave his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is there to convict us of our sin and tell us. And it goes off, womp, 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 when we're getting into that sin territory, and that's when we try to rationalize it and push it down. And God is saying, no, I've given it there to, you know, you know it's not right, not right, not right, not right. Warning, danger, Will Robinson, danger. Okay? It's danger. It's going off for a reason. Fire alarms don't go off for no reason. It goes off because it smelled smoke. You've got to check it. Say, is that legit? Well, there's nothing else burning. Something's going on. It's the fire alarm of your soul right here, the Holy Spirit. We have to rely on the Spirit of God to teach us and show us as we go to the Word of God. Now, the Scripture says that we are not our own. Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. God has shown that we are His children by giving His Spirit to us. And us, by engaging in all kinds of sexual immorality, we can see we are grieving the Spirit of God and bringing judgment of ourselves on ourselves. And if we're going to deal with it, we need to make sure that we run from temptation. If we're there, we're feeling tempted, the Spirit's going off, we don't know what to do, run! Make like you same Bolt. Don't play around. Don't try to, to, to make it suave. Run! Don't be like, I've got to get out of here now. Just go... <laughs> So all you have to do. It's that simple. You can open a door. You can get out of it because God's giving you self-control. That's what he's saying there. Just like Joseph. Make like Joseph. Joseph had Potiphar's wife. She set it up. They were alone. He didn't even leave his clothes. Man, he just like, she's pulling his jacket. He's running out of there, man. He's gone. That's how we need to be. We need to make sure that we are running from temptation. As 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. See, there's something intimate, something that's very intimate within the sexual union. It's different than anything else. Sitting here, it's against your own body. There's a connection intertwined, a mingling of souls, if you will. You know, what's interesting is people have talked about pornography and how it's gotten so, use, uh, so much use. I was reading a, a, a report the other day uh, by this anti-pornography group, and they were saying that most men, when they look at pornography, they're not actually looking at the nudity. They're looking at the eyes because they're trying to find a connection in the soul. But see, that's what pornography does. It gives this illusion of a connection that's really not there. It's fake. It's not a real union. It's illegitimate. Someone's either being paid or forced into it. It's a human being with human feelings. You look at it just as an object. He sins sexually; sins against his own body. Now, we need to remember that if we do sin, and I know that there's many in this room right now, you're feeling awful. And I say to you, good. You should. But I hope that this word for you is not one that harms, though it might hurt, but it's one that heals. I have no problem making you hurt to show that you have cancer, but I'm also going to give you a cure, because there's a cure. See, Jesus took even all of that sin that you did and took it upon himself. This church is not made up of perfect people. Everyone in this room has got something that they wish to hide. They don't want people to know about. But you know, the Bible says that when we sin, that we have an advocate with God the Father, that Jesus' death paid the price for that sin. And that you don't have to be in chain to it any longer. You might have messed it up, you might have done it badly. But you know what? God offers you forgiveness. He offers you to be clean, to be spotless, to be a brand new creature. That's what his death meant. That's how great it was. That's how marvelous it was. That he saw you when you were in your sin and he still chose to die for it so you've been set free from it. And you don't have to be chained to your past any longer. That he will set you free. That he will make you a clean individual. That you are a new creation. You are spotless. You know, it's interesting. In the book of Zechariah, it says that Satan is known as the accuser and he is standing before Joshua the high priest and he's covered with excrement. And he's accusing him before the throne to show that he's dirty. But God comes and makes him clean. He makes you clean. He purifies you. You're no longer who you were. You don't have to worry about that any longer. You're not condemned because we are in Christ. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now you can say amen. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for you any longer. If you repent, then we have a promise within his word that he is faithful and just And he will cleanse us. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins. He will cleanse you and purify you from your unrighteousness and set you clean, beautiful, on the side of God. That's a a wonderful truth. We were more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're not chained to our past anymore. We need to rejoice in that, make sure that we repent when we fall Repent when we fall Turn back It's hard enough to fall But it's worse to stay in the mud You know And if you're dealing with lust, let me Let me encourage you Learn how to bounce your eyes You can't maybe avoid the first look But you can avoid the second Or as one farmer said I can't pass the sparrow I can't keep the sparrow From going through the barn But I can sure make sure That he doesn't build a nest there Don't let the sparrow Build a nest in your barn Learn how to guard your eyes. Know your traits. Pr- enlist accountability. Enlist help. Preferably from someone of your same gender. To help you in this regard. To be honest with them. To be transparent with them. Practice radical accountability. We're not alone in this, by the way. Everyone in this room has got some issue. Everyone. So don't think that you've got to do this by yourself. You can't. And it gets real personal. It gets messy. But you know what? Christian life, no one ever said it was going to be neat and easy. It's hard. But we continue by His Spirit to do it for His glory and our joy. Now, i got two more points I want to finish off here. Fourthly, for to heed God's warning for this, and not to, especially in the realms of adultery, we need to make sure that we come back and, and, and have to maintain the relationship that we do have if you are married. We need to make sure that we romance our spouse. Romance our spouse. Marriage is hard work. I know I can always do better at this. My wife tells me that I can do better at this. Um, but it's true. You have to take time to get to know one another. It, marriage is work. It's cultivating that. And you can't let the little foxes steal your marriage and steal your joy. You know, in the book of Song of Solomon, it talks about these little foxes creep in. These are little things, little, little tidbits. It's like in the old man in the sea when, the, when he's got the old man has got that big old fish that he's catching and others are just nipping at it over and over again until there's not much, anything left. See, that's what happens sometimes in marriage. We let little things get to us, and they continue to gnaw away our love because we let the little things creep in and just gnaw at us. Take a little bite here. Take a little bite there. We have to make sure that we are forgiving one another, that we're believing the best about one another. We're considering one another's needs before our own. And we don't say, hey, this is what they did. I'm not going to do that. That's not marriage. That's not how Jesus loved his church. Jesus loved his church while it was still in rebellion. That's where we're to have a love. We're to have a sacrificial love in our married lives. We need to romance our spouses. Today is Valentine's Day. I hope you romance your spouse. You don't have to, okay? It's not a biblical holiday. But I'm telling you, you need to romance on some day. If you're single, then you need to make sure that you're remaining pure in your singleness. If you're in a dating relationship, you need to be pure in your dating relationship. Don't push the boundaries, do what God has. Talk about it ahead of time. Say, this is what this is it. We need to make sure we remounce our spouse. Lastly, I want to conclude this message with the, the need to make sure that we ready our kids for this fight. We need to ready our kids for this fight. Because you know what? If we don't teach our kids about sex, someone else will. Someone else will. We need to make sure that we teach them about it. And it can be awkward. I've had to talk to a parent just the other day. They're like, I don't want to talk about it. Something that God gave. It's a wonderful thing when it happens in the right context. You need to teach them that. And I've told my kids that. It's a wonderful thing. One day, by by God's grace, you're going to be united with someone in holy matrimony. And I'm praying for that person right now. And you're going to have a wonderful thing. And God bless you for it. And I hope you have a great time. But don't dare awaken love until it so desires. Don't do that. Don't transgress in that regard. You're going you're gonna to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt the other person. Most of all, you're putting yourself in a place and you're removing yourself from God's blessing. So we need to ready our children for the fight. See, the cost of living a pure life in an unpure world, mean it, it means dedication. I know that there are some here who aren't out there yet. Young people, may I say to you, don't listen to what the world says. I did when I was younger. I made a lot of mistakes. I didn't have someone teaching me what the word of God said on these issues. It took me a long time to really understand how to apply them to my life. But I would encourage you, follow what God says. You're going to have everybody around you. You're going to have desires of your own, but you've got to learn to channel them because if not, you're going to destroy yourself in the long run. I I can't tell you of how many people that I've talked to that have destroyed their life in that way. Someone eventually ends up in my office because of that. Not joking. All the time. All the time. So don't listen. don't listen to all the lies the world tells you. Turn and by the way, if you've got an issue, with, it might be porn, whatever it might be, you need to cut it off, you need to change it. you need to make a clean break from it. Because we need to live pure lives in an impure world, so God might receive glory through what we do, and that we might increase our joy in God. Because see when we're enjoying God and doing what He wants us to do, our joy in God increases. It's a joyous thing. So we don't just obey and go through the motions. We obey to increase in our joy in who God is. That's an amen. It's a wonderful thing. Hard truth, hard truth. If you're single, be satisfied in your singleness and ask God to bring you that spouse in his time and help you to wait on him. And he will do it. He will bring it in his time. And you will increase in joy that in I just want to conclude our service today but in a word of prayer and then a benediction. But uh, in between or after I pray, uh, I want to make sure that we recognize Jerome. I have Jerome come up here and he's going to receive a certificate from us. But let me close this message time with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you. And Lord, I recognize that there are some people here today that are feeling broken. They're feeling so convicted. And Lord, I pray that you show yourself to be the forgiving God. I pray that they might turn back to you in repentance and confession. Uh, They might turn from their sin. They might take the steps necessary to not sin any longer. Lord, you have showed within your word, uh, just as you said, that if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And Lord, we know that it's it's hyperbole that's there to show us that we're gonna need to take radical steps to fight against our sin. And Lord, I pray that there might be people here to just take radical steps and commit themselves wholly to you and that they might understand that they have been made clean through the blood of Jesus Christ, that though their sins were scarlet, now they are white as snow. Lord, help them to live life in that cleanliness. Help them to go free, uh, free of shame, free of guilt. Uh, if they trust in you. And Lord, for those who have not yet uh, come to the end of themselves in regards to their sin, they're still holding on to it, Lord. I pray that you bring a holy madness into their lives until they do turn, turn away from their sin and fall at your feet. So Lord, glorify your name in their lives. Glorify your name in our church and help us to live pure lives in an impure world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.